The last time I spoke from this pulpit, I explained a special need to help local missionaries from some of the missions in South America. In these in most of these countries, the annual income averages less than 10% of what it is here. I explained that these young people had already sacrificed much and that they would need additional help, financial help, from those of us who could easily share. I didn't really appeal for funds. I outlined a need. This is my first opportunity to express thanks to so many for helping these missionaries, even without being asked. I can't imagine what would have happened if we, we had actually asked for help. One lady wrote, You so carefully avoided asking for funds that you also avoided telling us where to send them. <laughs> I should repent of that. I'm really hesitant, but you all know where church headquarters is. Some letters came to me personally. They are as heartwarming as the stories of need. One lady sent a generous first monthly check and had her niece write, Some question my ability to help so much on my small income, but I want to do my part, and if I do, the Lord will take care of me. She was 99, disabled, and blind. A nickel and four pennies were taped to a card over the printed signature of a five-year-old whose mother wrote this message. I love Heavenly Father. I'm giving part of my allowance to a missionary. A youngster 15 said, I didn't think two dollars would matter much, but my dad said that if everyone in the church sent two dollars, it would be over six million, and that's not too bad. Another wrote, as a father of eight sons, I know how disappointing it would be for me if any of my sons was unable to serve a mission because of lack of finances. Enclosed is some help. An elderly couple, remembering their temple vows, said, We have sent seven of our own children. We know it takes more money now than then. A mother wrote, after October conference and family council, we decided to earn some money, not to spend it for Christmas, but send it for missionaries. The boys, ages five and six, gathered cans for refund, stacked wood, raked leaves, vacuumed the car, and swept the garage. Two-year-old Becky stacked wood and set the table. Mom gave piano lessons. Daddy cracked his piggy bank of eight years. One boy lost a tooth and Daddy paid him a quarter for it. He promptly loosened and removed two more for an additional 50 cents. <laughs> We're sending our total earnings, 81.85. It's been a pleasure. The shortest letter read, per your instructions last general conference, sincerely. Aside from some concern about possible toothless youngsters, I commend you all. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Gratefully, the need still exists. In fact, it's growing daily. Last year, we experienced a 37% increase in the number of local missionaries serving.
We have another and different need in the fast-developing areas as well as in most of the missions. Last year, more than 140,000 converts joined the Church. With so many converts in little branches, the little branches grow rapidly. New leaders are called to positions of service early. They are able but inexperienced in Church procedures and administration. These new leaders, as well as older ones, need to be taught how to organize the Church correctly and cause it to function properly. Who is available to teach these principles? Regional representatives? Yes. Their visits are limited, however, and they cover wide areas. Mission presidents? Yes, but they are greatly burdened with large and oft-times difficult areas to cover, and in reality they have little time in which to do it. Mature couples with the background of Church service? Yes. But where do we get them? Why, the Church is full of them. Would you like to serve? Such a call will delay your retirement, take you off the golf course and away from your mobile home. It will place you face to face with real challenges that require deep spirituality, earnest prayer, and the exercise of great faith. If you would like to serve, contact your priesthood leaders to see if you are worthy and able. They are the ones who determine your worthiness to receive a missionary call from a prophet. Our priesthood leaders will be very careful about whom they recommend. They will carefully review all information submitted and give special attention to your medical record to see if there are any physical or emotional problems that would interfere with full-time missionary work. Your children must be grown and married. Good health is essential. In spite of your desire and means to go, it may not be possible due to poor health. I must be very frank about this matter and caution you. Missionary work is not a sentimental journey. While the work will be accommodated somewhat to your needs, it will nevertheless be work. You will miss births, deaths, weddings, and other family events. You will live in less comfort than you are accustomed to. It will be the most challenging, disappointing, discouraging, and difficult time of your life. Nevertheless, I have heard the testimonies of couples who are presently serving, and in spite of the inconveniences, I can promise you one thing—supreme joy. The joy that comes from diligent labor and from selfless service. Ammon knew this kind of joy. In the Book of Mormon we read, And this is the account of Ammon and his brethren, their journeyings in the land of Nephi, their sufferings in the land, and their afflictions, and their incomprehensible joy. You, too, may experience a joy and exaltation known in no other way. Most people who need your help speak another language. You will be enabled to learn a new language, however, through a system adapted to your situation. 
the nature of your service will not be exactly like the young missionaries. The emphasis now is for experienced couples to teach leadership principles, which you already know, to inexperienced leaders. Normally, you will not preside in a branch or district, but you will help those who do to improve their abilities and to cause the Church to function properly. You will also teach principles of personal and family preparedness. You might work as a specialist in health, agriculture, or vocational services. You will share the gospel through proselyting as well. The length of service is usually 18 months. However, you may serve a 6- or 12-month mission. The areas where you are needed vary sufficiently to meet the needs of most couples. It will require four to $500 per month in most cases. This cost provides the opportunity for your children to now help their parents fill their missions. Perhaps some of you couples who are listening today may look at one another and say, Dear, why shouldn't we see if we qualify? Some of you who desire to serve may not be members of the Church. We would welcome you, too. There are, however, one or two preliminary steps you need to take prior to being recommended. (laughs) If you should see our young missionaries about, or if you know members of the Church, please ask about their message. It will open the door to marvelous opportunities in the service of the Master, as well as open the door to eternal life for you. Our Savior taught that service saves. For behold, the field is white, all ready to harvest. And lo, he that thrusteth in his sickle with his might, the same layeth up in store that he perisheth not, but bringeth salvation to his soul. And if it so be that you should labor all your days in crying repentance unto this people, and bring, save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy with him in the kingdom of my Father. And now if your joy will be great with one soul that you have brought unto me into the kingdom of my Father, how great will be your joy if you should bring many souls unto me. I know that we are in the service of the Master. I know that Jesus is the Christ, that he lives and directs this, his work, on the earth through his living prophet, President Spencer W. Kimball. To this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My message is an appeal to those who are worried, or restless, or anxious, or afraid. A plea to those who are not at peace. If your life is touched with disappointment or grief, with bitterness, if you struggle constantly with worry, or frustration, or shame, I speak to you. The Bible records that in ancient times there came from Gilead beyond the Jordan a substance used to heal and soothe. 
It came perhaps from a tree or a bush and was a major commodity of trade in the ancient world. It was known as the Balm of Gilead. That name became symbolic for a power to soothe and to heal. The lyrics of a song record, There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. I recently asked a doctor of family medicine how much of his time was devoted purely to correcting physical disorders. He has a large practice, and after thoughtfully considering, he answered, not more than 20 percent. The rest of the time I seem to be working on problems that very much affect the physical well-being of my patients but do not originate in the body. These physical disorders, the doctor concluded, are merely symptoms of some other kind of trouble. In recent generations, one after another of the major diseases has yielded itself to correction or cure. Some very major ones remain, but we are now able to do something substantial about most of them. There is another part of us, not so tangible, but quite as real as our physical body. This intangible part of us is described as mind, as emotion, as intellect, as temperament, as many other things. Very seldom is it described as spiritual. But there is a spirit in man. To ignore it is to ignore reality. There are spiritual disorders, too, and spiritual diseases that can cause intense suffering. The body and the spirit of man are bound together often, very often, when there are disorders, it is difficult to tell which is which. There are basic rules for physical health. They have to do with rest and nourishment, with exercise, and with abstaining from those things that damage the body. Those who violate these rules one day will pay for their foolishness. There are also rules of spiritual health, simple rules that cannot be ignored, for if they are, we will reap sorrow by and by. All of us experience some temporary physical sickness. All of us now again may be spiritually ill as well. Too many of us, however, are chronically spiritually sick. We don't need to stay that way. We can learn to avoid spiritual infections and maintain good spiritual health. Even though we may have a serious physical ailment, we can be spiritually healthy. If you suffer from worry or fear, from grief or shame or jealousy or disappointment or envy or greed, I have something to tell you. Somewhere near your home, there's a vacant corner lot. Although adjoining lots may be well tended, a vacant corner lot somehow is always full of weeds. There's a footpath across it and a bicycle trail, and ordinarily, it is a collecting place for junk. First, someone threw a few lawn clippings there. They would not hurt anything. Someone added a few sticks or limbs from some adjoining property. Then came a few papers and a plastic bag, and finally, tin cans and some old bottles. And there it was, 
a junkyard. The neighbors did not intend it to be that, but little contributions from here and there made it so. This corner lot is like, so very much like, the minds of many of us. We leave our mind vacant and empty and open to the trespass of anyone. Whatever is dumped there, we keep. We would not consciously permit anyone to dump junk into our minds, not old bottles and cans, but after long clippings and papers, the other things just don't seem to be that much worse. Our minds can become veritable junk heaps with dirty, cast-off ideas that accumulate there little by little. Years ago, I put up some signs on my mind. They're very clearly printed and simply read, no trespassing, no dumping allowed. On occasion, it's been necessary to show them very plainly to others. I do not want anything coming into my mind that does not have some useful purpose or some value that makes it worth keeping. I have enough trouble keeping the weeds down that sprout there on their own without permitting someone else to clutter my mind with things that do not edify. I've hauled a few of these away in my lifetime. Occasionally, I've tossed these thoughts back over the fence where they came from when it could be done in a friendly manner. I've had to evict some of these thoughts a hundred times and more before they would stay out. And I have never been successful until I have put something edifying in their place. I do not want my mind to be the dumping place for shabby ideas or thoughts or disappointments or bitterness or envy or shame or hatred or worry or grief or jealousy. If you are fretting over such things, it's time to clean the yard. Get rid of all that junk. Get rid of it. Put up a no trespassing sign, a no dumping sign, and take control of yourself. Don't keep anything that will not edify you. The first thing a doctor does with a wound is to clean it out. He gets rid of all of the foreign matter and drains off the infection, no matter how much it hurts. Once you do that spiritually, you will have a different perspective on life. You have much less to worry about. It's easy to get all mixed up about worry. Somewhere, there's a message in the protest of the man who said, you can't tell me worry doesn't help. The things I worry about never happen. <laughs> Many years ago, I was taught a lesson by a man I admired very much. He was as saintly a man as I have ever known. He was steady with this and serene with a deep spiritual sense of power that many drew upon. He knew just how to administer to those who were suffering. On a number of occasions, I assisted him when he gave blessings to those who were sick or otherwise afflicted. His life had been a life of service in both the community and in the church. He'd presided over one of the missions of the church. He looked forward to the missionary reunions. When he was older, he was not able to drive at night, and I offered to take him to the reunions. This modest gesture was repaid a thousandfold. On one occasion, when we were alone and the Spirit was right, 
He gave me a lesson for my life from an experience in his. I thought I'd known him, but the things he told me I never would have supposed. He grew up in a little community. Somehow in his youth he had a desire to make something of himself and struggled to get an education, succeeded. He married a lovely young woman, and presently everything in his life was just right. He was well employed with a bright future, they were deeply in love, and they were expecting their first child. The night the baby was to be born, there were complications. The only doctor was somewhere in the countryside tending the sick, and they weren't able to find him. After many hours of labor, the condition of this mother-to-be became desperate. Finally, the doctor arrived. He sensed the emergency and acted quickly and soon had things in order. The baby was born, and the crisis, it appeared, was over. Some days later, the young mother died from the very infection that the doctor had been treating at the other home that night. My friend's world was shattered. Everything was not right now. Everything was all wrong. He'd lost his wife, his sweetheart. He had no way to take care of a tiny baby and at once tend to his work. As the weeks grow on, his grief festered. That doctor should not be allowed to practice, he would say. He brought that infection to my wife. If he'd been careful, she'd be alive today. He thought of little else, and in his bitterness, he became threatening. Then one night, a knock came at his door. A little youngster said simply, Daddy wants you to come over. He wants to talk to you. Daddy was the stake president. A grieving, heartbroken young man went to see his spiritual leader. This spiritual shepherd had been watching his flock and had something to say to him. The counsel from this wise servant was simply, John, leave it alone. Nothing you do will bring her back. Anything you do will make it worse. John, leave it alone. My friend told me then that this had been his trial, his Gethsemane. How could he leave it alone? Right was right. A terrible wrong had been committed, and somebody must pay for it. He struggled in agony to get hold of himself. It did not happen all at once. But finally, he determined that whatever else the issues were, he should be obedient. Obedience is a powerful spiritual medicine. Obedience comes close to being a cure-all. He determined to follow the counsel of that wise spiritual leader. He would leave it alone. Then he told me, I was an old man before I finally understood. It was not until I was an old man that I could finally see a poor country doctor, overworked, underpaid, run ragged from patient to patient, with little proper medicine, no hospital, few instruments. He struggled to save lives and succeeded for the most part. He had come in a moment of crisis 
when two lives hung in the balance and had acted without delay. I was an old man, he repeated, before I finally understood. I would have ruined my life and the lives of others, he said. Many times he has had thanked the Lord on his knees for a wise spiritual leader who counseled simply, John, leave it alone. And that is my counsel to you. If you have festering sores, grudges, bitterness, disappointment, jealousy, envy, get hold of yourself. You may not be able to control things with others, but you can control things in here, inside of you. I say, therefore, John, leave it alone. Mary, leave it alone. You may need a transfusion of spiritual strength to be able to do this. Well, then ask for it. We call that prayer. Prayer is a powerful spiritual medicine. The instructions for its use are found in the scriptures. One of our sacred hymns carries this message. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray when your soul was full of sorrow, balm of Gilead, did you borrow at the gates of day? Oh, how praying rest the weary. Prayer will change the night today. So when life gets dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. All of us carry excess baggage around from time to time, but the wisest ones among us don't carry it for very long. They get rid of it. Some of it you have to get rid of without really solving the problem. Some things that ought to be put in order are not put in order because you can't control them. Often, however, the things that we carry are petty, even stupid. If you're still upset after all these years because Aunt Clara didn't come to your wedding reception, <laughs> why don't you grow up and forget it? If you brood constantly over some past mistake, settle it and look ahead. If the bishop didn't call you right or didn't release you right, forget it. If you resent someone for something he has done or something he failed to do, let it go. We call that forgiveness. Forgiveness is powerful spiritual medicine. The instruction for its use are found in the scriptures. I repeat, John, leave it alone. Mary, leave it alone. Purge and cleanse and soothe your soul and your heart and your mind. It will then be as though a cloudy, dirty film has been erased from the world around you. And though the problem may remain, the sun will come out, the beam will have been lifted from your eyes, and there will come a peace that surpasseth understanding. A great significant message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is exemplified by the title given him, the Prince of Peace. If we follow him, we can have that, individually and collectively. He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. 
not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you, my brother or my sister, are troubled, there is at hand, not just in Gilead, a soothing, healing balm. Consider this. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide in you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come unto you. I bear witness of him who is the great comforter, and as one authorized to bear that witness, testify that he lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Of all of life's memorable experiences, there are few to compare with the soul-stirring feeling we have as we hear a missionary express his joy and love for the Lord as he tells of bringing someone to the waters of baptism. President Kimball has requested that every worthy young man prepare himself to go on a mission. There still are vast areas of the world living in spiritual darkness and waiting for the true word of God. Even though we as a church point with pride at the large number of missionaries serving in the world, many more missionaries are needed. A church family in a city or a town anywhere in the world will bring another family into the church. Soon missionaries are involved. A small branch develops, then wards and a stake. The process goes on and on in a miraculous way with local saints and missionaries bringing the good tidings, new hope, to people everywhere. The church missionary force will continue to grow. The 25,000 young men now serving will become 35,000, then 50,000. No hand can stop the work. But it is sad and disappointing to see the names of young men in many wards not able to take advantage of the divine direction, send forth the elders of my church into the nations, the islands of the sea, unto foreign lands, call upon all nations. Some of our choice young men have been caught up in the ways of a permissive society. Now, my remarks this morning are directed to the young women of the church particularly those who are dating our young men. I desire to be appropriate and correct in what I say, but of necessity and urgency concerning this matter, I must be very direct and candid. Some young men cannot go on missions because they are not worthy. I challenge the young women of the church who associate and date our young priesthood bearers to become real guardians of their morality. You can. You must. Of course, many of you are. Please do not underestimate your role. 
I am aware that the total responsibility is not yours. However, on a date, you can set the proper atmosphere to encourage your companion to honor the commandments of God. In fact, you have the opportunity to emphasize the Mormon ideals of womanhood in all its honor and glory. I know the Lord expects it to be so. You young ladies have a profound influence on young masculine behavior. Young men wear clothes they think you like. Their hair will be cut to please you. You can control how fast he drives the car if you want. He will dress as grubby as you like. You need not dress in the extreme fashions of the world. Are you young people aware that the fashions and styles that are, are promoted because someone has a product to sell? The rightness or appropriateness or effect on a youthful society does not matter as long as it sells. But the day will come when the world will follow the ways of the church. Its influence will be as though flowing from the stars to affect the actions of men. Your influence with young men is important. You encourage church standards and dress and conduct. Interviews with some prospective missionaries regretfully indicate that some actions involving young women are most disappointing. Some are even ugly and are far, far different from what is expected of you. The Savior knew so well our weaknesses. He warned, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Young women, lift the tenor of your association with our young men now preparing to be worthy, so their bishops will, call, will be impressed to call them on missions. The young man you are with in a car or at home is needed in the Lord's work. Hundreds, even thousands more like him are needed, but prepared in the Lord's way. The young men you are dating are in training for missions and hold the priesthood. Bishops have found these young men worthy. Hands have been placed upon their heads. They have received the priesthood of God. Just think, the Lord has given them authority to preach, teach, expound, exhort, baptize, a divine commission to act for and in behalf of the Lord himself. The young man you may be with probably is a priest. He wants to be worthy to receive the higher priesthood and, if worthy, to someday have authority and keys of spiritual blessings. He is not just another young man. He is a very special young man. He is in training. He is going on a mission. You can be a great blessing to him. You, a young lady he admires, can help him avoid serious pitfalls. Young men maturing, learning, forming habits have ideals and special persons they admire. You may be such a person. In a matter of months, these young men will become missionaries and blessed so as to be able to teach investigators by the Spirit. The Lord said, And the Spirit shall be given by the prayer of faith, and if ye receive not the Spirit, ye shall not teach. 
our missionaries teach and testify by the Spirit, but they must be in tune with the Lord. Hoping for the Spirit is not enough. Praying is not enough. Missionaries must do what the Lord requires to live the commandments, to be clean, be wholesome in deed and thoughts. The Lord hath said he dwelleth not in unholy temples. Who shall ascend into the hills of the Lord? Or who shall stand in holy places? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. The psalmist is teaching the necessity of clean actions that comply with divine law. A pure heart, pure thoughts, a desire to live in harmony and to love the Lord. While serving as a mission president, I asked a missionary who was having difficulty developing the spirit of his, of his calling to go for a drive. We drove far up into the hills. No one was near. After several hours, he finally revealed the problem he was hiding, his feeling of guilt. He was ashamed of what he had done. I listened. We talked it out. Then we watched a missionary, missionary virtually come to life with the spirit of his calling. Most missionary concerns are worthiness concerns, the product of their dating and social activity. The Lord's instruction to go ye into all the world and preach to every creature involves us all, all who have taken upon themselves the name of Christ. All members of his church, the old, the young, everyone is involved. Young men at an appropriate age are called by the prophet to leave home and to go out in the world. Others serve and spread the gospel at home. Some give financial support. But every member is obligated to be part of the Lord's plan to spread and share the gospel. You young women have a vital role in this preparation and pre-training of our young men. If you live worthily and develop a strong, positive self-image of your divine role of joint inheritor of the fullness of all things, you will be a blessing to the young men who come under your influence. In the October 1977 New Era, an article entitled, Treat Everyone as If He Were a Mormon, a group of young people talk about their sense of duty, their excitement, and their ideas concerning sharing the gospel. One of the questions directed to the young ladies was, Girls, what is your obligation? Wanda replied, Every member is supposed to be a missionary. We should try to do all we can. Beverly replied, I think we can also help by encouraging the boys to go on missions. I think we can encourage them in the little things that we do. It is in the example that we set for them that we can help the most. You young ladies must set the proper example. Help our young men stay morally clean, that they might be worthy and spiritually prepared to serve the Lord. You young women also have a duty to serve the Lord, to honor womanhood according to the church beliefs and not the world's. One of your most important obligations is to be able to remain clean and pure 
And when you are clean and pure, the young men you date will be clean and pure. If a young man makes inappropriate advances, you have a sacred obligation to say, No, I do not do that. Please don't ask me or try to entice me to submit to conduct conduct that is offensive to the Lord. You, a daughter of Zion, can be a shining light as you set the right example. Refrain from early dating or going steady. Avoid at all costs the familiarity trap. Instead of spending time in a lover's lane, why not develop your minds and your personalities? You both have talents to develop and to share. Read good books, listen to good music, study and discuss the blessings contained in the Word of Wisdom. Read the Scriptures. It is the greatest story ever told. Young couples on dates know in advance what too much time together or too late at night can lead to. Avoid such dangers. There is a lurking power of emotion that can override intellect. Moral strength is a great virtue developed through desire and self-discipline. Nearly 200 years ago, the British statesman Edmund Burke wrote, Tell me what are the prevailing sentiments that occupy the minds of your young men, and I will tell you what is to be the character of the next generation. Somehow, my dear young friends, we will stem the tide of untruth and immorality that is sweeping the earth. It will be accomplished by you, the youth of the Church, through your faith and your strength. Don't be discouraged at seemingly overwhelming odds in your desire to live and to help others live God's commandments. At times it may seem like David trying to fight Goliath, but remember, David did win. As you reflect on life's real goal, what should our desire be? The Lord, in a rather personal revelation given through the prophet Joseph Smith in 1829 to John Whitmer, said, The thing which will be of most worth unto you will be to declare repentance unto this people, that you may bring souls unto me. President Kimball has has asked not only for more missionaries, but that they arrive in the field better prepared and with a desire to go and serve. If ye have desires to serve God, ye are called to the work, the Lord said. Missionaries are expected to serve with all their hearts, might, mind, and strength. Wouldn't it be a great source of satisfaction to you young women to know that you have helped a young man visualize the majesty of his call and to have encouraged him to become an outstanding modern missionary. Many of our young men are. We need them all to be that kind of missionary. The Lord has said, The field is all ready to harvest. He that thrusteth in his sickle with his might bringeth salvation to his soul. President Vaughn Featherstone of the Texas San Antonio Mission remarked, Let's not use a sickle, let's use a combine. (laughs) 
President Kimball has said, if there were no converts, the church would shrivel and die on the vine. You young women have a vital role in converting the world to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can encourage, influence, and even shield a young man at a critical time in his life. The Lord holds this promise. I hath not seen nor ear heard the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You demonstrate your love for the Lord when you help a young man remain worthy and prepared to serve the Lord. In Maxwell Anderson's play about the youthful Joan of Arc, she says, Every woman gives her life for what she believes. Sometimes people believe in little or nothing. Nevertheless, they give up their lives to that little or nothing. Then she goes on, One life is all we have, and we live it as we believe in living it, and then it is gone. But to surrender what you are and live without belief, that's more terrible than dying, more terrible than dying young. Let there radiate from you, young women, a spirit and influence that will have the power to cause a mighty change when necessary in the hearts of our young men. May there come forth through your efforts generations of young men in the church who have spiritually been born of God, who reflect his spirit in their countenance. You possess a divine key given by the Creator to lock or unlock, destroy or bless, that can make young men become as great as they ought to be. God's work cannot fail. His work and purpose will succeed. In the end, righteousness must and will prevail. I challenge you, the young women of this church, to fulfill your duty in assisting in presenting to President Kimball and the Lord young men who are worthy to testify of Christ and the resurrection of his gospel. To this truth I testify in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.